Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. Looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my co-host, John. How's it going, John? Hello. Hello, Ryan. Man, it feels like it's been a minute since I've been on the show. Thank you so much for having me back. No worries. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it's funny, like, pre-show, we always do the, how long has it been? It hasn't felt like it's been that long, but it feels like it's been a, you know, an amount of time. And to the best of our abilities, uh... We, we, we came to the conclusion it's been about three years, which is kind of <laughs> crazy to think about. It's just a just a light three years. Nothing yeah. has really happened since 2020. And, uh, you know, we've just hung out. It's what we it's, <laughs> it's what we've been doing. Yeah. And if it and if it helps, uh, the last time we, we did do a show uh, on the Gamers Inn, it was the three and a half hour epic, which I, I say is an epic. You probably say is a normal Thursday evening. Um, where we talked about The Last of Us Part Two. Wait a minute. Isn't that <laughs> just how long podcasts are these days? Like, that was my understanding. That's what I've been told. That's true. You know, that's true. Well, not this one, <laughs> normally. Uh, <laughs> but I know uh, Core, which is the show that you're on, uh, goes for, um, you know, four or five hours, depending on how many games Bo has played, you have played, and Scott have played. Uh, and if it's a week where Scott is like doing a theme week where he plays like five minutes of 15 games to see which is the best desk building simulator. Uh-huh. That's not a real genre. I'm trying to like, I think it was like, uh, it was, you say that, but I like somewhere someone is like, Oh, there's three or four games about it. You could do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, would it just be like Ikea, the video game? Is there an Ikea, the video game? I feel there like there should has be. to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only if, to me, the only problem with Ikea, the video game is that everything you could build could be its own separate game. Like it's too broad is the problem. Like you could have making Ikea meatballs, the video game, building desks, the video game, building furniture assembly, building the store in a way that showcases all the furniture that you want. Like. That, that, that we've got like four games in one. You you gotta you gotta make sure you get them for all they're worth. True, you're right. I've I've failed this uh, this mind exercise. Uh, yeah, I feel like it would be uh, a, a lot of fun to just let's just go back to the desk building simulator and and uh, and go from there. I I know for a fact that I hate building desks. I'm looking at the desk I'm working at right now, and I remember. I'm now having like day nightmares or daymares or whatever you want to call it about how, you know, how I put this thing together. It's not a fun experience. Um, but what is a fun experience is having you on the show to talk about video games, because that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, cyberpunk 2077. That's a big title right now with its expansion and everything. But I did want to kick it off with a, with a smaller piece of content, because I know Cyberpunk is probably going to take a good chunk of time to chat about, because I'm playing it as well. Um, I wanted to chat about uh, Resident Evil 4, which just had its first piece of DLC, probably its only piece of DLC at this stage, which is uh, Separate Ways, which is the Ada Wong sort of campaign that happens alongside all of Resident Evil 4. And uh, it is... It is probably one of the better pieces of DLC that I've played in a very long time. It is it is really good. Uh, 
and priced just right at like 10 bucks, which is kind of unheard of for DLC that is of this sort of caliber. Cause this is a new, it's a whole, not all, obviously it's a remake of existing content that came out, you know, over a decade ago, but like, this is a whole new section of the game that they've added in. That's sort of like, you know, interweaves with the main story. It's kind of like playing through resident evil four, uh, but fast tracked. You're, you're just seeing like the moments where Ada Wong pops in from the main campaign and then getting like a little bit more time within the environments around those appearances. So it's like, it's very good. Uh, I know you've purchased it. You haven't had a chance to, to play it yet, but did you play the original separate ways when it, I think it first launched on PlayStation two a while back? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, this was DLC that I think people were really excited to see. There was kind of a tongue in cheek nod to it in the game itself where, uh, I don't remember which character it was, but someone, I think it was probably Leon says something about going our separate ways and people, you know, did the, Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV meme around the world when that happened. And, uh, it, but we hadn't heard anything. And then all of a sudden they announced it and they announced it coming out soon. And like a big dummy, I had uninstalled Resident Evil 4 from my computer because I thought I did think that they would make this. I just didn't think there was any way it was coming out this year. And then they did the like reveal and they're like, by the way, it's coming out in a couple weeks. <laughs> I thought, oh, no, I don't have that installed. I got to get that game back on my computer. And because uh, I, I can't wait to play it. And sure enough, it came out. I bought it immediately. And um, turns out video games are very good this year. Yes. And I just haven't gotten to it yet. You're right. It is a very busy year. I think this is the first year where I've kind of kept a tally of games that I know I want to play that I just didn't even get a chance to buy um, and or start. And uh, I've I've tried my best not to like add to the backlog by like, well, I got to buy it because I know I want to play it eventually or like buying it the first chance I get when it's on sale I've just kind of kept a tally and like there's some big titles on there like Diablo four and final fantasy 16 and, um, Jedi survivor, like some, some big ones that I, you know, you asked me years ago, like, would I have, you know, paused on getting those? I would have said, no, I would have, I would have been there day one, but it has just been an embarrassment of riches, you know, this year, 2023, uh, that I've kind of come around on like, you know, smaller experiences. So when they announced the separate ways DLC and I'd already played and really enjoyed the Resident Evil four remake when they announced it is like, Oh, it's, it's a small piece of content. It's 10 bucks. I can start playing it next week. That sounds superb. So like I jumped in, I, I finished it. It's about six hours, you know, four to six hours of content there. It is, uh, you are playing as Ada Wong, so it's a bit of a different experience. The biggest difference being that she has a grappling hook. So she's a lot more mobile than Leon is, and her main weapon is the sort of machine gun, the submachine gun. And the grappling hook kind of allows you to be more mobile, moving up ledges uh, and allowing you to zip towards enemies to do melee attacks. So you don't have to run up to them to kick them. You can kind of just use the grappling hook to, to zip around and kick them that way. So the mechanics of the combat feel a lot more quick and agile, uh, but it's got all like the mainstays of the original Resident Evil 4. Like you've got your shops, you've got your um, 
treasures you're trying to find on the maps. And of course I buy the treasure map because like, I don't want to be hunting for that stuff. I just want to see it on the map and go get it. <laughs> um, so, and not that I purchased it with real money. You purchase it in the, the, the shop guys. Uh, he has like a specific treasure. You turn in like a specific type of currency. It, it's, it's, it's unlocked in game. So it's, it's by no means am I giving Capcom extra money. So I know where everything is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want to do that. Nobody wants No. That. No, there was that whole controversy with like the upgrade tickets and you could buy upgrade tickets. I'm like, no, what are we what are we doing here, guys? Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to be controversial for a moment. If I can just come into your you've invited me into your home. It's everybody (laughs) sitting down, having a quiet dinner. And now I'm going to say something to get everybody in an uproar. Do it. Um, I think Capcom with what the way they priced it, like people people shouldn't get up in arms about that. I think this is the perfect thing to monetize. Because let me tell you this, I felt zero compulsion as somebody that can play the game and play the game well to spend real money on it. But there are still going to be people that want to fast track it, that just don't want to worry about it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to use the Internet to get the answers that they seek. Uh, They don't want to spend the time in the game and they just want to they just want a shortcut to it and spend money and like let them. It's fine. It's single player experience. Let them fund the next great Resident Evil remake. I'm more than happy to let them like that. Like that's 100 percent fine to me. I'm if they remade Code Veronica, which is what (laughs) I think they should do, because let me tell you, I do not need a remake of five. Unless you're going to change that game significantly. <laughs> they they remake Code Veronica. I am happy to play the game that Wales built. Like, let them, let them do it. Let them throw their money at those maps. I think, that's, I think that's great. I think the method in which you acquire them in the game felt fair. I didn't feel like there was a big hurdle that I had to overcome. That, like, I was tempted to spend money. Like... It, it it felt right. Like to me, that is exactly how microtransactions should feel in that game. I felt no compulsion or need. And I'm sure they made a lot of money from it regardless. So I'm mm. I'm actually all for it. I think they did a great job. Yeah. I mean you're right. Like if if enough of the upgrade tickets were purchased with real money, and it means we get a remake of a Dreamcast game over a remake of an Xbox 360 game, because you would have Actually, how much more work? It's probably more work to make Resident Evil 5 tolerable than it <laughs> I is. I was going to say, like, <laughs> you just have to make Resident Evil Code Veronica look really good and play better, but that game can stay pretty much what it is. There's maybe a couple story elements that by today's standards you may want to play around with a little bit, but, um, like, overall, that game's ready to go. Huh. Resident Evil 5... Like, I know some people like it. Like, honestly, this is going to be more controversial than saying I think their deal or their monetization was fine. Resident Evil 5 is a bad game. Like, it's a fun fun enough co-op experience. Like, I'm not going to ever try and take away from someone that was like, well, yeah, me and my girlfriend or me and my friend, we, you know, we sat down, we played together, and it was just a fun experience. Like, that's fine. Playing games with friends always is going to be substantially a better experience than you know it's going to make it more memorable but when you talk about sitting down and playing a resident evil game five is only slightly better than six and six is abysmal so like it's 
six darn near killed the franchise bad and five is only a little better than it. So I, I think that like something needs to be done to make five more compelling in my mind. I mean, it's so funny to think about the Resident Evil franchise where you have Resident Evil four is kind of considered to be um, the the start of the the third person action doing it right sort of video game like it was it was well regarded as as like uh like just this really great action third person game which is what the resident evil franchise wasn't really known for before that like they kind of nailed it and moved away from the tank controls right that it was known in one two and three but to go to five and then to six you're right six like did nearly kill the franchise if it weren't for village or not village but um uh well, it was just Resident Evil 7, wasn't it? Or Biohazard? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, Biohazard, yeah. Yeah, like it, if if it weren't for that one, like th- there's a reason they changed up the formula so much and went first person because they probably felt like they needed to do something as opposed to continuing down whatever trend they thought they were going with from 4 to 5 to 6. But uh yeah, I had this conversation about remaking 5 and I know Code Veronica, that's my vote as well. I want to see that one. Uh, get remade but i'm 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 kind of wondering like with five do they convert it to single player with ai uh components for for the the second player or do they or do they preserve the co-op experience because co-op really hasn't been a part of the franchise at all outside of five i think if you remake that game you have to do co-op and I, i think the reason you have to is because at a certain point you do have to ask yourself who are we going to sell this game to? And I mean, maybe it's not as clear cut as I'm thinking it is, but like to me, if you say we're going to remake five, well, what is the core component of five? And to me, that's co-op and to remove it would be to remove the key thing that makes five a standout game. Um, so to me, you don't remove it, but again, if they're, if their approach is less like let's remake five and their approach is more, let's make a sequel to four, then I think maybe the co-op isn't as essential because you're, you're done looking at it as a remake of a game that already existed. And you're looking at it instead as a continuation of this new franchise you've kind of started. Um, but uh, to me, the co-op has to be there. Like it, it would be like, hey, we're putting Resident Evil Four out, a remake. Uh, by the way, there's uh, Chris, your main character. People would be like, what? Oh, wait, wait a minute. Why you can't get rid of Leon? Like he's the main character of Four. You know, to me, you just you have to have you have to have that. Like it's such a such a big part of it. Okay, so if they remake Resident Evil Code Veronica, is it? Do they keep it Claire and what's the other guy's name, Steve? Or do they give him like a better, like a, a, a not a, I was going to say a better name, but like, <laughs> you know, no, no offense to the Steve's out there, but I just, I feel like you've got, well, I guess there's also, you mentioned Chris, but may, maybe Steve fits. I don't know. Is it Steve? I feel like now. Yes. Yeah, uh, no, Steve is in there. Yeah. Okay. Steve is definitely a Code Veronica character. He is. Far and away, one of the most obnoxious characters ever conceived in the history of Resident <laughs> Evil. Oh, perfect. Um, he is he is absolutely atrocious. Uh, just to be clear, seeing as soon as I, I know my audience here, it's not because he's Canadian. <laughs> he's just <laughs> extraordinarily he's just extraordinarily a bit much. And um 
I think he's wonderful. Like he's awful, but I think he's I you do have to make his voice better. Like his voice acting was not very good. But I think you still make it a little over the top. You still make him whiny. You still make him obnoxious. You still make him flirt with Claire inappropriately. Like uh-huh. you leave it all in. He's a bad character, but that's okay. Resident Evil's a world where there some people are likable, some people aren't. Uh, it would be like if they took Chris punching rocks out of Resident Evil 5. That's one of the dumbest moments in the history of Resident Evil is Chris Redfield punching a boulder as hard as he can. Like over and over and over, just like just punching the heck out of a boulder. But if it wasn't in there, you'd be like, well, wait a minute. What are we doing? Why did we cut that out? I I think Steve is the same way. And Chris is in Code Veronica. He does show up eventually. But um, yeah, it is. It is Claire and, and Steve. (laughs) <laughs> for the first bit and uh you know i think you just let let the world appreciate steve for who he is maybe make him a little cooler they made um what's his name in uh three remake they made him cooler uh yeah uh what is his name they you know resident evil has a lot of these like random you've got your main characters i think outside of the first one uh and the second one i guess because you have leon and jill no uh no, I'm, all, I'm, get, I'm getting it all mixed up. But there are some games where like they, they have your main character and they have a, a an original character. And sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. And they just never revisit that character, um, which is the case with Resident Evil 3. Like, I don't even know. I can't even remember the character's name. I'm looking for it. I'm trying to yeah. find out. I'm trying to. F- <laughs> it's not a hard name either. It's like genuinely a simple name. Oh, it's Carlos. Carlos. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, like, he's a character that just never comes back. Uh, and and we've I've kind of kept up on. So Resident Evil has had like a lot of these like TV shows and movies. And I've, and we've been watching we watch them for for my zombies podcast because it's it's content. And some of them are good and some of them aren't. But the most recent one they did was like an Avengers style movie where they brought all the main characters together. Uh, but but only the main main characters, like nothing. Yeah. You know. There's no Carlos, although they did throw Rebecca a bone. Rebecca was in there. Well, I mean, she got her own game. Rebecca yes, is like she's as she's as unmain as a main character can get, but she she can she can be there. She had to deal with the leech game. Yeah, that's true. And Billy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Billy. Good old Billy. Oh, man. All right. Well, anyways, Resident Evil. Uh, all that being said, Resident Evil Four Separate Ways is fantastic. It's a great piece of DLC, and um, if you want to play through Resident Evil 4 again uh, with a different character, but sort of like take that you know 20 to 30 hour campaign and and, and bring it down to like a, a tight four hours, where you're getting the highlights of that campaign story. Uh, it is really cool, and I mean, I don't, I remember playing Separate Ways originally when it when it came out. I think it was. It might have been the Wii game that had it that I eventually played it because I didn't I didn't own a PlayStation until the PlayStation Three, but uh, I think it's been included with with every sort of re release after the PS Two. Um, but anyways, it it uh, it is really good, and again, it's ten bucks. It's a short, you know, great way to to experience that game. You're gonna want to play Resident Evil Four first, but you know, 
it's a piece of DLC. I'm I'm kind of I'm selling it to the folks that have already bought it. They just need to reinstall it and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you doing? Up, Why'd yeah. you even uninstall it? It's such a good game. You should never have taken it off your hard drive. Ah, uh, yeah, you know those uh, those SSDs. They they're not as big as they used to be, right? Or or you're paying out the nose for it if if they are. And I right. I totally understand wanting to uninstall a hundred gigabyte game because that's that's some prime space, you know. Especially if you play a lot of games on PC, I can understand that. That's the real issue. I I did spend a premium on my SSD, but it doesn't feel like it because every game that comes out now takes up a tenth of it. Yeah. So that's what are you guys doing, man? Yeah, I, uh, I I get into the weird habit of like not uninstalling stuff. I will like transfer it to an older drive, but I always curse myself when I try to move it back because it's moving from a slower drive to a fast one. It's like the bottleneck, obviously, is the very old drive. Like it's like it'd be faster to just uninstall it from the beginning and then reinstall it, you know, yeah. without a data cap. Of course, if you have a data cap, then it would make more sense to to archive it, but I'm so paranoid about my saves, even though I know they're saved in the in the Steam cloud, you know, even if you uninstall, but I don't know. Paranoid about I have too stuff. much of a scorched earth policy when it comes to saves. Like I I think there's been one time in my life where I've been sad about losing a save. Yeah. Other than that. And and that was less a save and more just settings on my Final Fantasy fourteen <laughs> character. I was like, oh, yeah. this is going to take forever to fix. It still isn't fixed. It, it it is literally taking forever. But like, I, I'm just the kind of person that's like, oh, it's gone. Good. That's no pressure on me now. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about remembering anything. I just start over and do it all again. It's fine. You know what I blame? I blame that generation, the, the 360, where there were like multiple games that had like carry your save over. It was like Mass Effect, the Dragon oh, yeah, Age franchise yeah. a bit. I-, I think that's where it comes from. But you're right. Like I can't remember the last time I needed a save, and and it was a problem when I didn't or did have it. So yeah, you're right. It's probably a good idea. I mean, I- I'm sure Steam or Valve, which is everyone had that thought because of all the what Valve's Steam's been around for what. 15 plus years everyone's got all their saves their you know 60 saves from skyrim just sink into the cloud constantly no limit on that but they wish they set a limit so oh yeah oh yeah that's gotta be go. a mess it is a mess well uh check out uh, separate ways dlc when you have a chance it's really i think you'll really enjoy it and it is a lot of fun playing as uh ada wong running through that campaign because the best part is like leon's constantly in danger and you're just like, you know, using your grappling hook to sw- swing away and just like, well, that'll keep him busy for a bit. And that's <laughs> pretty much the campaign. Like he'll nice. be fighting a boss and you'll be just like, I got to go over this way. Have fun. <laughs> Got stuff to do. Yeah. Stuff to do. People to see. Uh, things to be to fair, steal. that's how I play most multiplayer games. So that's that's <laughs> accurate to me. I'm like, oh, you guys are fighting a boss. That's rough. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I guess I'll be over here. Exactly. If you, guys, if you guys need me, let me know. But, yeah. you know, come on. Like, let's focus on the word need here, not want, <laughs> when it's critical. Yes. You let me know when we get to the point where I need to swoop in and deal that last bit of damage, and we'll we'll call it a day. Uh, well, you know what? 
I want to hear about uh, your adventures in Cyberpunk 2077 because I'm going to say something controversial. I played this Ooh. game when it came out in Yield 2020, December. Uh, yeah, three months around the last time I was on the show. Yeah, I was just going to say three months <laughs> after you were on the show. Uh, and I played it on the the Xbox One X. Played it through to completion. This was before they had done a, any sort of substantial patches. And uh, I enjoyed the experience. I, I felt like Cyberpunk 2077 had, and I said this at the time, has had good bones and the work, like a lot of people are saying, there's no way they'll be able to fix it. There's no way they'll be able to fix it. And it's like, it had good bones and really it just needed, they needed, they, they weren't needing to throw out complete design uh designs for the games they just they really just had to they had to build some systems up like i think some of the stuff they added with this 2.0 update for like the cop system and stuff uh not that i've experienced a lot because i i play like a like an angel um (laughs) (laughs) but uh i i played it when it came out i enjoyed it it's got really good bones and now that and i have not jumped in with all the updates of like they did the next gen update about a year and a half ago they or maybe it was a year ago and um they did a, a bunch of work to establish it and now we have our 2.0 update which just came out a couple weeks ago and uh phantom liberty which is the expansion that came out and so i i jumped back in started a new game and i was reminded that like oh the changes they made are really good quality of life stuff but like f- for the most part they did not change what made that game really solid at the beginning, which which was like the story and the progression and the setup of the world. Like they're they're introducing you to this whole new world that you may not even be familiar with if you're not familiar with the the original um the like, what would you call it? it? It's like a Dungeons and Dragons thing, is it not? It's like a, a uh yeah, the tabletop game. Yeah. Yeah. Tabletop game. I I knew nothing of it. So again, like the introduction to this world. It, it it is done so well and they did not change that it's all it's all what was there at the beginning so all that being said like i enjoyed it when it came out and i i think like people who are rediscovering it are are, are rediscovering it on yes it runs a, so much better now than it did when it launched you know so that setup aside like you're you're playing it now like you've experienced some of the expansion like did you start fresh for this expansion launch to experience the 2.0 update right from the beginning or how did you approach it i did because like you i i tried playing when the game first came out i tried playing on the pc and it was not the greatest experience and i was very quick to write off cyberpunk it's you know um, anytime I, I need to humble myself, I'll, just, I'll talk about cyberpunk because I, I remember going on core and saying like, it's not even about the tech issues. I was like, I feel like this world is just cringy edgelord borderlands level, uh, writing and universe building. And I don't think there's anything here. And I really regret Having said that, because it's wrong, uh, boy, was I wrong. Now, they have taken steps. It's not to say that there wasn't some validity to the criticism. Like, I think the initial launch, I, I, I think even they were a little like, I mean, they've done weird things. Like, they they 
hatched out a bunch of dildos in the game. Like that's just common. That's common knowledge. That's a thing they did. Yeah. Uh, they they reduced the amount of dildos in the world. Like, and I think that's maybe a testament to a little bit of what I was talking about and what I do think that I was a little bit right on um, was that there were some design decisions and some of the writing, some of the advertising, some of the world building um, that maybe didn't show the level of confidence that I think they deserved uh, on the product that they put out because uh, I, I dropped the game for a good long while and I ended up picking it up about a, a year ago uh, when Edge Runners came out, uh, the anime on Netflix. And I watched Edge Runners and I loved that show. It was really, really good. And I was just like, wow, maybe there is something to this universe. Like, I, I did not think that. Maybe I was wrong. And I went and I checked the game out. And by that point, even a year ago, um, the game was really good. It ran really well. They had put in a bunch of new content. There was a bunch of cool references to the anime. Um, and I played through the entire game. And I ended up liking the world and the universe so much that it's actually the reason I got into Fortnite. Because when I was done with it, I was so depressed about leaving that world that I just was like, I can't do a story game for a while. I need just calorie gaming for a while. I need to just, I just need to load up on carbs, gaming carbs. I know I can't have anything with a story. I can't have anything with substance. I just need junk food gaming. And uh, that's what led to me getting into Fortnite for a good long while. Because uh, I, I didn't really want to leave the world. That's how much I liked the story and the universe and the setting and all that. And going back into 2.0, I did start over fresh because I'd, I'd beaten that game. It had been a year and it's like, I don't, I remember it, but you know, like a good book, when you really like a good book, you're like, I want to start over. Like, I just want to see it all again. And you know, there's enough variety and choice and way things can go that there'll probably be differences this time. And I'm amazed at how much better 2.0 is even over a year ago. Like they, the talent trees are probably one of the biggest things. Um, used to be that t picking a talent was rarely interesting. And then occasionally you'd be like, oh, this is cool. I can do this now. Um, now picking a talent, like you feel like, oh boy, there's like seven or eight things I wish I could take. And uh, I can't. I got to pick one like they've done a really, really good job of of creating character builds where you want to do everything. And that's usually not me. I'm usually like, all right, give me a pistol. Let me stealth around. And that's what I'll do. I'll be a stealthy pistol user that can do really well in persuasion. Like that's kind of my go to way of playing video games uh, that are RPGs. And this, I was like, man, I'd really love to see what, you know, being a melee fighter would be like. I'd really like to see what being a heavy would be like. I, every time I play, I say I'm going to be a net runner. And then, you know, corruption of watching the anime, I guess I always end up with a sand Devastin build and like slowing down time because it's just so cool. But uh, yeah, the game is just so deep and so good. Uh, and the lore to it is really amazing. And the expansion content has really like it sits in the world so well that there are times where I was 
I was doing quests that were part of the expansion and not even realizing it. So I was like, well, wait a minute. Am I in the new area is called Dogtown? I'm like, am I in Dogtown right now or am I in Pacifica? Where am I? Um, because it, it just incorporates this new section of the city, which you could see when you played the first time. Um, it just incorporates it so well that it's, it's kind of seamless at times, uh, you know, blending what existed before and this. And uh, the new content, also extraordinarily good. Very cinematic, very, uh, very high quality, very interesting. Um, it kind of feels like, so to, to not give spoilers, because I know you haven't gotten into any of the, the DLC yet, or the, the expansion content yet. Um, one of my criticisms of cyberpunk is that the Compeki Plaza, uh, theft, um, or job is one of the first things you do in that game. You kind of spend the first part of the game building up to it, then you do it. And then that really is what kicks off the, okay, now you're in the game. Um, and I felt like the game never really got that again like building up to a big job and doing the job and maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. We got to, you know, now we got to recover. Now we got to do things like it never really felt like it got back to that. Like there were interesting stories, but that component that seems so cool never came back in the game. And I feel like the expansion adds at least another one of those to the game. And that was really nice to see because it felt like it was missing. Very cool. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I agree with you there, and I think that, uh, and I have been playing, I started a new game, because for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to try playing uh, as a different starting point, so I think I was Nomad my first playthrough, so I did Street Kid, and my first playthrough was as a female V, so I'm going to do the male V, I get a different, you know, dialogue choices just through the, you know, the street kids start and stuff and, and, uh, interacting with characters differently and all that. And it does feel different. Like I'm getting, there's so many different prompts. Like it feels like they really, and this is going back to like, again, when the game came out, like all these different prompts for these different, you know, origins for your character, you can have these different dialogue options that make sense for your sort of, sort of origin. But, uh, you're right. Like as you're building towards that, sort of what would be considered, I think they call it act one, but like sort of the prologue mission uh, where you are building up to that heist uh, from what I've played after that so far, just to have it fresh in my memory, it really feels like there, there are a couple moments where you're setting up for something, but it's not as um, it's not as it, it's, it's kind of interrupted a lot by like the open worldness of the game. Like the, the act one literally starts with you locked down in, in Watson. Right. So it's very focused uh, so you aren't really allowed to kind of go off the path at all, but it is very a, a contained moment where you're doing this heist. But uh, yeah, you're right. It never really gets back to that. So it's good that they sort of offer that within this DLC because, I mean, the trailers have been, you know, the marketing has been really good for it. And I think they they really learned the best way to market this game when, as you said, the Netflix show came out. I really felt like they they... They've done, they've made so many smart choices with Cyberpunk 2077 after its release to kind of turn it into something that was kind of like sort of a fall from from grace for for CD Projekt Red to sort of this huge success story um, 
to the point where they said like we're doing one expansion and we are mo- we're moving on to the sequel like they're building out cyberpunk 2077 or 2078 whatever they end up calling it i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. 2077 too but that would be that'd be too far in the future um but this expansion i i haven't you're right i haven't gotten to the expansion content i'm still working towards it so for folks at home i don't know why i said that um but for folks who are listening <laughs> <laughs> yeah folks at home you yeah. know as opposed to our live studio audience you, you know. know i'm at home too <laughs> so i don't know <laughs> you know the caveat there is it, it, it's weird but um so yeah for folks listening like i did this where i looked it up like okay wh- when does phantom liberty sort of kick in and it isn't until sort of partway through act two you got to do a, a good chunk of stuff to get to it uh although you know you and i john were talking pre-show like there's some great mechanics like the phantom liberty quest shows up as soon as you've purchased the content it's in your your journal um but it tells you exactly what you need to sort of it gives you it tells you what you need to do next to unlock that quest. And basically the, the ruling is like, you need to become a more well-known net runner. Uh, Cause essentially the plot is like, you're trying to save the president. Right. So like they got to have a reason to, to call you essentially. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. They well, don't just and call I mean, anybody. yeah, I mean, there's some, there are some story beats like having gone through it. Like there is a, a narrative reason why they make you go through as much of the game as they do um you know for one you know you need the character to be in a certain place like we we alluded to the compeki plaza heist there are outcomes of that heist that are you know major this story has ramifications for like you know that's that's how you get the the worm on the hook so to speak um but also like narratively the lore that it deals with they because, you know, who who knows if people have done deep dives on the lore of cyberpunk? Like, um, it's hard to say that if, you know, if you talk to somebody about the black wall, like, is that going to mean anything to anybody? Like, that, unless you have hit a certain storyline point in the main game, if somebody mentions the black wall, you probably don't know what that is unless you have been reading every shard or have a history with the tabletop game or you know you've you've really done a lore deep dive so they want to make sure that there are things that you know about narratively um before before you go diving into a storyline that potentially is going to touch on those topics um and so the in the game you know they want you to have gone to pacifica which is a region right outside of dogtown so it makes sense like that's how you get to the new areas through pacifica so having access to pacifica is needed uh they want you to have met the voodoo boys which is one of the gangs in the game and considering there is a contingent of voodoo boys in dogtown like again there's you know some some narrative connection threads there so I think it's pretty smart where they put it, but if you don't want to play through a bunch of the game, they have also created an option where if you say start new game and you have Phantom Liberty, you can literally start at Phantom Liberty. So you can play just the expansion content if you want. Yeah. And I think I just, um, I, I, I haven't played the game in three years, so I was so far removed and they don't recommend you jump straight to Phantom Liberty because there was a lot of changes they made. 
uh, with this 2.0 update. I think my favorite change that they made was the fact that they removed sort of all gear from the equation of like your character stats. Like gear is essentially all cosmetic now. Um, like basically your clothing and such, which makes sense. Cause like it, it never really, you weren't wearing armor. You were just wearing cooler jackets, right? Like, <laughs> right. Here's a crop top. <laughs> it gives you a plus 17 against acid. It's like, why? Yeah. Uh, I don't understand. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're turning your body into a literal machine, but that doesn't give you any armor. It's this really cool mesh shirt that did it. <laughs> yeah. So now uh, it's all cosmetic and, and they've changed it. So your armor is based on, I think, uh, as you said, it makes more sense to the world. It's more authentic to the source material it's it's based on your cybernetics and your modifications uh so you buy i think you buy like specific cybernetics that are armor based you can and they'll give a they'll give a bigger boost but there are most cybernetics will give you at least some form of armor um so it all kind of increases it but some of it is going to increase it more than others um and there are some slots uh, i think dealing with like your skin and stuff like that, where it's like you can just straight up buy armor for these spots. And it, it, the trade-off tends to be the more simple the item, the more armor it gives, the more complicated. It probably gives less armor, but does some other cool things in its place. So like, for example, one of the abilities I have is active camo, where I get to kind of do the predator stealth thing. Well, that's a really cool ability that, you know, loses threat and lets you hide and stuff like that. So the armor on it's really low, but if I choose to give a slot where it doesn't really do anything else for me stat wise, it's just armor that gives a ton of armor because that's all it's doing. Yeah, no, it's and and it's a it's a really good change. Um, that I, especially for me, it feels like a change is like this is for Ryan who doesn't want to min max stuff. He just wants to wear a cool hat, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think they did. They kind of built towards it. I think one of the updates from years ago was like a cosmetic wardrobe where you could just apply your favorite hat to like the weird looking um toque i guess you found i don't know i was just trying to think of a, a no a no thing. they did and yeah that was in there when i played a year ago and that was really good um because it let you equip wardrobes over the top of whatever you were wearing so you got all the stat bonuses, but you could look the way you wanted. And one of the cool things about the expansion is that anytime you pick up a piece of gear, it gets added to your wardrobe automatically. So you can loot, you know, all the all the clothing you want. You can dismantle it for parts, but then when you go to the wardrobe to assemble your look, uh, you still have everything, that, even the stuff you've disassembled. So it kind of... It's a really good system um, that lets you just collect a ton of outfits because even though the game is in first person, even though it's a little silly, worry about how your character looks in a first person game where you rarely ever see your character. Look, it's cyberpunk and how you represent yourself is like 90% of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you drive a motorcycle and you control in third person, then you see your character an awful lot. That's, yeah, and, that's right. And and you know you're taking over a lot of uh, uh, CCTV cameras. You know, uh, so you're 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 seeing yourself there sometimes too, depending on <laughs> on yep. how you how you're playing. So if you're vain like me, you're looking at your character all the time. Uh, 
like so with the expansion like you you mentioned it's in a new area so dogtown and it that it does it it gets referenced in the main game quite a bit i can't remember why it was closed off in the main game but do they give like a an expansion reason for it suddenly to be open yeah so it it comes from the fact that um the Night City, I believe, I could be wrong on some of this, but my understanding is that Night City is independent of the new United States. Like, that they they operate actually as an independent entity. But that during the Unification War, when they were trying to get everything under the new United States banner, an operation was started in Dogtown to try and claim Night City for the um, NUSA. And that the dude who went there to capture it wound up just taking it over. And he doesn't really represent the NUSA. He basically just made himself a warlord and declared his independence from both the NUSA and Night City. And it was just like, no, this is, this is where we run things now. And hmm. Night City can't oust him. Uh, the NUSA can't oust him because they're, he's like two layers deep for them because they can't invade Night City. But likewise, Night City can't invade him. And uh, so he's been just set up there. And so I think in the base game, the idea was just like, ah, oh, that place is under, you know, real strict martial law. You can't go in there like it's it's no man's land. And they don't really give a story reason so much as just like, well, they don't let police in there, but people can pretty much come and go like they, they won't let the government in. But anybody can really just kind of go there. So all of a sudden you can just go there. Oh, OK. Well, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so I, it's before it was like, ah, it's dangerous. Let's not go there. Now it's like, eh, it's still dangerous, but you can go there. Yeah. Enter at your own risk, essentially, is is what it says. It is kind of weird. Like in the main game, it was like, no, it's too dangerous. You can't go in there. It's like, I mean, have you seen the rest of Night City? It's pretty dangerous. <laughs> it's pretty you know, bad. Pretty bad. Now, uh, a, a key part of the marketing has been, you know, voice of Knuckles uh idris elba sort of headlining uh-huh. this yep. yeah his most know. well-known role i know yeah that's why i said famous for being a, a red echidna yep that's He's never yeah. gonna sound right to say it yeah knuckles the echidna um and you know he's gonna be uh he's getting a tv show that's that's how popular uh knuckles is so uh when that's happening who knows but um He's so Idris Elba. He's a main part of this. Now in the marketing, uh, it's probably a spoiler to ask. Like, is he is he sort of the equivalent to Keanu Reeves's character, or is he like the bad guy? Um, I he is a main character in the story. Like, okay. So I will I will say this: Keanu Reeves is back, providing the voice of Johnny Silverhand. Um, in fact, I will also say that. They did not slouch like one thing I was very surprised by. And again, I'll talk around spoilers, but uh, my character is dating Judy uh, as far as the love interest goes. And I went back to uh, Judy's apartment at one point while playing through this content. And Judy was there and she's like, so V, you know, what have you been up to? What have you been doing on your adventures? And one of the things I could talk about was what I've been doing in this expansion. 
and Judy reacted to it and had a conversation about it. So they got the lady who does Judy's voice, even though, at least from what I've seen, she's not really involved in it, to come back to do lines for the expansion too, because she she certainly acknowledged what I was doing. And so that was a nice touch. That was a nice little surprise and nice touch as well, was that clearly they've got... You know, even people that may not be directly involved with this uh, also came and and did a little work too. But uh, Keanu's back, so for anybody that thinks Johnny is not going to be talkative or not going to be around or they're not going to do anything with him because uh, he's you know obviously it's a big megastar. It's hard to justify bringing in a megastar to do your voice acting in the game. Uh, fear not, he's in there. But Idris Elba is kind of like uh, another one of these cases. It's a bit of a stunt casting, but like in a good way, not in like the Mortal Kombat way. Uh, like it's <laughs> like it's actually <laughs> he does a phenomenal job, and uh, he's really really good. Uh, so I don't want to give away who he is or anything like that. Although if you've watched the um, they they released a cinematic trailer. For this game for phantom liberty and while it does give you some idea of who these characters are i will say everything that's in that cinematic trailer takes place prior to the for prior to the expansion so you can watch it and they will talk about the events from that cinematic they don't ever show it to you like that cinematic, as far as I know, unless they're going to show it right at the end or something for some reason, like they don't show it in the game. So if anybody's out there avoiding that for fear of like spoilers, it kind of sort of has some like you'll get an idea of who Idris Elba's character is, as well as another character that's going to be in the uh, expansion content. But I actually thought it was really nice to get to see it because they do talk about it and you just have their words to go off of. It was cool to see the moment. Yeah, no, and I I did watch that cinematic trailer, and I felt I felt like it was um, it was a really good setup for uh, what my adventures might entail uh, in in the expansion. I, I'm I think I'm getting close. I'll probably I'll probably get to it pretty soon, and and um, and I'm, I am very much looking forward to it because again, like I think replaying. The start of Cyberpunk 2077 has reminded me that combat is really fun. That's another thing that I think they nailed right from the beginning was the was the shooting. And I mean, it's similar to Starfield in that you're like wondering, okay, is this developer that's never made a shooter before going to be able to handle making a good shooter? And I think Cyberpunk 2077 nails that approach you know and i think they've done they've come a long way too with the i think one of the upgrades for 2.0 and i know you're playing on pc so this won't affect you unless you're playing with a controller but they they redid the aim assist which is a big part of you know console first person shooters is like what (laughs) what what shortcuts are you giving me to be able to to aim better you know without a mouse and a keyboard and i think that they they did a really good job with that upgrade too uh with the controller so the combat was always fun and I was more, I'm more of a net runner too and kind of running around and, and doing uh, as many quick hacks as I can. So it's been a lot of fun to sort of revisit 
those early parts of the game. It's uh, and I feel like I'm close. I feel like I just need to wait it out a little bit, and and then the quests will continue. I think I've got like a I've had like a wait for a call for a while, uh, which is the call to go to Pacifica. So I might just need to sleep. I feel bad for my character. V's just been working for like a week straight. Yeah. On all these missions, you, know, you got a you got a big time limit going. You know who's got time to sleep when uh, when there's stuff to do. True, there and and again, the, <laughs> it's one of those stories. And again, the game's been out for a while, but your character is, is as you said, has a time limit. And uh, but it's an artificial time limit in the sense there's no like limit within the game. The limit just becomes more and more clear as you progress the main quest. But you you could you could just putter around night city in the game and there would be no consequence but yeah i don't think there's any any actual like i think even if you just sat down and was like sleep 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 i don't think you would (laughs) i don't think you would like reach an end game point it's just probably good to say because as somebody that does not like time limits in video games yeah there is a chance we scared we scared yes. people off by mentioning that there's no actual time limit. It's a pretend time limit. Yeah. Like, I know Jocelyn really hates... Uh, she. So Mass Effect 3 is a great example. Mass Effect 3, the world's ending. There's, like, a very specific thing that's going to happen at the end of 3. And she's like, well, I have to do all the main stuff as fast as possible so that we can be ready to defeat the Reapers. And it's like, well, the game... The story is set up that way, but the game's not punishing you. Like, again, like you said, if you as Shepard just sat down and was like, I'm going to wait here for a bit, it wouldn't matter. You could wait one week, you could wait two hours, it would make no difference, right? Because the game isn't, there's no ticking clock in the background. Uh, but the story really does set it up in a way where it's like, you've got you've got weeks, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so... In terms of the expansion, like you said, you're about 75% through it. Like, does it feel like a substantial amount of, of content that, that they've added here? Like it is a, it's an expansion. It's 30 bucks American, I think. Like, does it feel like there's a good chunk of content there? Uh, it does. Um, it's hard to say because I've been kind of like, I've been kind of mainlining the primary story, but it did add a lot of other like side quests and gigs and stuff like that, that you can do as well. So it's not just it's not just one story that you see through like they're like with the whole region, there's a bunch of stuff that you can do. Uh, there's one quest that at first I, it, cause it happened outside of the expansion area, but it, it dealt heavily with narrative elements from the expansion. And I was like, is this old content or is this new? And I looked it up and it it's from the, it's from the expansion. But like I did a side quest that I just absolutely loved. Like it was making me laugh out loud. It was so funny and um so crazy. So it like it had nothing really to do with the main story except for happening near that region. So there's stuff pertaining to it and there's stuff that doesn't. Um, but it's all it's all really, really good. Um and I think there is, you know, I think there's a lot of meat there. Especially because I don't think, you know, it's it's more expensive than separate ways, <laughs> like, for sure. But I think it's only like 20 bucks or so for this expansion. And uh, I think that's probably because a lot of the stuff they did is given away free because a lot of it is system stuff. And you want that to be on parity across whether they buy the expansion or not. But um, I think the story content there... 
Uh, as far as spectacle, like I think some of the coolest things visually in all of Cyberpunk 2077 are in this expansion. So I think there's a lot there to really enjoy. Very cool. Now, um, do you still get like random calls from fixers as you enter new areas in the expansion? Because that's got to be <laughs> the funniest thing is you're just driving around town. And you get a random call from somebody. How they get my number? I have no idea. But they're just like, hey, if you're in this area. I'm the person you want to call for the jobs, right? Is that an expansion? Because I feel like if they didn't have at least one person call you randomly uh, to offer you gigs, like, is that there? Uh, there is there. You work primarily with one guy, um, but I think he might have been in the original game, too, because uh, I think he was your contact for Pacifica. I think he's also oh. your contact for Dogtown. Um, Mr. Hands. Mr. Hands. Yeah. yeah. So you do randomly get calls from Mr. Hands, though, because he is he's in Dogtown. Um, oh. So he has a he has a vested interest in what's happening there. So you will get calls from him. And uh, I don't know, like, I don't think this is a I don't think this is a spoiler. I think this is a tease. I've seen Mr. Hand's face. Whoa. You've been to his home. You've been to his house. broken bread with Mr. Hands. I've, I've broken bread. <laughs> Some of these might be lies, but I've definitely seen his face. Yes. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. You know. Like, there you go. There's the biggest tease. Like, forget Idris Elba. Forget Spectacle. Forget a spy thriller story. You get to see Mr. Han's face. Yeah. Get the expansion, everybody. Do it. The voice of Shadow, right? He's going to voice Shadow, maybe, and then we can keep the Sonic connection. (laughs) Yeah, I hope. I don't know. I don't know who does his voice, but they, they should get him. He's great. Yeah, I can't remember. I think it was on this show. Joss and I were talking like, who do you cast as Shadow the Hedgehog? And I think it was, there was a lot of names thrown around. I can't remember the the, the best one, but I think like mm. maybe maybe John Hamm. Get John Hamm to do Shadow, like an evil. John Hamm. Who would be a good Shadow the Hedgehog? I can't remember. We had a really good one, and I can't remember what it was, though. Um, I feel like I recently saw an actor in something and was like, they... They have real Shadow the Hedgehog energy was how I described him. <laughs> and I want to remember who that was, but I can't remember now. Michael Shannon as Shadow the Hedgehog. Oh know. my gosh, he changed the rating of the movie. It'd be good, though. <laughs> like, it'd be great. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I know we had some good ones. Oh, uh, Josh Brolin was one that came up. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. that's a good choice for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, it's a sonic tangent. I don't know why I did that, but, um, it, it like is the new area they added. Is it quite substantial too? Like I, like that was my thing coming back to cyberpunk 2077 is just realizing like how big the world is to explore. So is the scale of the new, you know, location, like they had to kind of fit it within, within Pacifica, right? Cause it's kind of like, it's a walled off area around or near Pacifica, I suppose. Like, does it feel like they kind of, adhered to that location that was kind of pre-established or does it feel like a big substantial addition i think they are doing some tardis business Uh, i think they (laughs) hide i think they hide a loading screen really cleverly um, because you can't just walk into dogtown um you do have to go through a checkpoint and you do get scanned as you go through the checkpoint um so i think they have found a way to hide a a load 
uh, in that. And as a result, I think Dogtown is probably bigger than the space suggests um, based on the size of Night City. Uh, I think they've I think they've made the zone overall larger and it's it's kind of weird because it's kind of so Dogtown is like mostly a giant stadium, like a really big stadium and a like rich kind of series of buildings around the stadium, like a like a downtown, you know, like if you you're city got a new sports team and they were like well they're going to be playing and people are going to need places to shop and stay and like a bunch of that stuff went up like it's kind of all of that walled off and as a result everything feels like very circular and very tight um and i get lost in there a lot but it still feels pretty substantial um I'll tell you what I constantly have thought every time I go into Dogtown. Uh, it is exactly what I wish New Vegas had been when I played Fallout New Vegas. Like, I remember being so excited at the prospect of seeing Las Vegas through the lens of, like, you know, Fallout uh, when that game got teased. And then you go there and it was like, Here's a quarter of a little bit of an area with a giant wall that is then a loading screen into another area. And it wasn't bright and it wasn't well lit. And it, I just remember being so disappointed and let down by New Vegas in, in Fallout New Vegas. This is exactly what I pictured in my mind back when I was dreaming of what it would be like. Um, it's a lot of... Like a lot of it's run down and like because, you know, a war has been fought here. So everything everything is kind of beat to hell, but also it's the future. It's cyberpunk. So it's like this blown out buildings and, and ravaged building insides. But then they've got their neon signs still working and stuff like that. So it's it's a little bit of both. And uh, and also that all this stuff that's been blown to hell was supposed to be like luxury rich, like shops and buildings and hotels and things like that. So it's got a lot of great architecture and statues and stuff like that. So it's this fancy post-apocalyptic look uh, that is just really, really cool. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. Well, I mean, it sounds like there's going to be a lot to uh, unpack with this expansion, uh, like I said, I'll be, I'll be playing it over the next week and, and have more thoughts. And I'm, I'm sure you'll be chatting about it on your, uh, your five hour marathon for core on Thursday that you got to prep for. And <laughs> yep. Yep. I think Scott finally got there. So, uh, oh. yeah, we'll finally get to talk about it a little bit. Oh, that's good. Well, that, that'll be, um, I look forward to listening to that as well. So, yeah, check out the Phantom Liberty expansion. We'll have more to say, uh, maybe diving more into the story uh, on our next few episodes. So stay tuned uh, for that. But uh, before we hit the news, I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash the gamers in. We are looking for our October patrons. So if you want to get a shout out all month long, head over to patreon.com slash the gamers in. Uh, we are doing Extra Life. Extra Life is back bit.ly slash tgi actually 2023 we have a bunch of events including our next one here which is going to be friday october 13th starting at 8 p.m eastern 
The Avendads have returned. Uh, yes, I'm going to bring up Crofton again. He is part of the Avendads. Uh, no, this is not an episode of Core where we talk about Crofton every once in a while uh, to get him to listen. But he's going to be playing N64 games uh, with me, Travis, and Whirlwind, uh, who are members of the Discord. And uh, we're going to be playing various N64 classics uh, as we battle it out to determine who remembers to, how to play N64 games the best. <laughs> there you go. So, that's, a, that's a good title. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we shortened it down to just N64 War, but uh, that's sort of the crux of it is like, I, how much do we remember? Like, Crofton says he's really good at Goldeneye, but like, really, that was like decades ago. So how 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 good really can you be um so we'll be playing those online uh through the nintendo expansion pass so we are limited to like what's available there but we are definitely going to be playing goldeneye 007 mario kart 64 and mario party although we do not plan to go uh all evening like into the into the early hours so we are trying to figure out like how long will it take us to play mario party uh we might have to like make that our last part of the event and then like truncate it like, you know, 10 turns. I don't even think you can limit it to 10 turns in the first game. That was something they added later on as a quality of life. Uh, but we'll be starting Friday, October 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern tiny.cc slash watch We'll have all the links on our socials as well. So check that out. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to that one. It's always a fun time with that crew. So Stay tuned. Uh, we'll have uh, we'll have some fun stuff planned for Extra Life and, of course, game day as well. So uh, look forward to that. Now, let's move into the news. Um, so we didn't do a show last week, so we've got some holdovers from last week, including uh, an update from Unity. So the long-running sort of feels like it's been going on forever. Not as long as the Activision Blizzard uh, deal, but Unity's kind of... Um, they did this whole runtime fee thing and they and they did a you know that classic like um open letter to the community type thing and and basically we uh, hear you yeah. we said something incredibly unpopular on the internet and now we've created a jpeg to tell you how sorry we are yeah yeah it's basically like a medium article is what they've got here it's just a just a wall of text saying basically we're uh, I want to start with this colon. I am sorry. And it's like, I, okay, <laughs> uh-huh, okay. uh-huh. I mean, look, there's been so many of these they've learned. They've learned from, I don't want to say the best, but they've learned from uh, those that came before them. And there've been a lot of them uh, we just talked about cyberpunk 2077. I'm pretty sure they had a, we hear you. Wait, <laughs> you, you expect <laughs> a certain quality from CD project red and we didn't hit that. Yeah, these letters, uh, they're, you know, AI bots must be trained on these already. And, and it's it's the first that's the thing that's going to, you know, be replaced by AI is, is these apology letters. Um, essentially, it sounds like they so what it boils down to is like they're not scrapping the runtime fee uh, for a, for the Unity Pro and Enterprise. So there's three sort of tiers. There's personal, uh, which the runtime fee will not uh, apply to my understanding is the personal plan is 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 free um but the pro and enterprise uh levels will still have that runtime fee but they're not applying it to previously released games it is only being applied to games that release on the uh the next version 
of Unity that will have this this new um, these new terms applying to them. So shipping in 2024 and beyond. And honestly, like my take from this is that like you've already done the damage. You've now said it's not going to apply to anybody after 2024. You've basically signed the death warrant saying like, well, everybody's everybody's starting a game. Well, and anybody starting a game after 2024 is likely not to look at Unity. I know there are probably some folks that are already in mid-development and have realized like it's probably best not to start over or can't start over. Um, and they're going to get hit with this runtime fee, but like the, the fee is still there. Uh, but like they, it's just a wild thing to be honest, um, to charge for installs like that. That doesn't even make sense from an, from an engine standpoint, like, but they don't take a cut of sales, I suppose. Right. They, they take like a fee. Uh, it, uh, this is we get into the business of it and I don't, I don't really understand it, but, um, I know people were not happy about this. Did you get a sense that like people it's, it's calmed down now. Like it's been about a week since this news. So like, I haven't heard much of it after this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is just like, it's damage done, you know, like the, the brand is damaged. I think at this point, like it's a win for people that were still working on unity projects because it's going to be too hard to pivot off of them. You know, I think that's the real unfortunate situation to be in is you feel locked onto your platform because you've invested time and money into it uh, or even research into it. But like, I think we're at a like, it's not that Unity is going to necessarily be dead, but I think that like, if you were, if you're at your point where you're like, I want to learn a programming language, I don't think you're choosing Unity. If you're starting to get ready to launch a video game project and you have the option to not choose Unity, you're not choosing Unity. Like I, I think it's just a case of like, you know, they, they showed their hand. And here's here's the thing, Ryan. I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing this whole thing, but I you gave me an idea while you were talking. Huh. And I just I just want to read you something real quick, okay? From okay. from the heart. Okay. Dear Mr. Murphy, I hope this letter finds you well. I'm re- I'm writing on behalf of the core podcast uh, to extend our sincerest apologies for the recent episode of The Gamers Inn where myself spoke excessively. I deeply regret any inconvenience or frustration this may have caused. At Core Podcast, we value and respect the platform you have created and understand the importance of maintaining a balanced and engaging conversation on your podcast. (laughs) I acknowledge that my behavior was inexcusable and fell short of the standards of professionalism and courtesy that we hold dear. We would like to assure you that we take this matter seriously and are taking immediate steps to address it internally. We will be conducting additional training and guidance for myself to ensure that such an incident does not reoccur in the future. Furthermore, we would like to offer our full cooperation in rectifying the situation. If you believe it would be beneficial, we would be more than happy to arrange a follow-up episode where I can contribute more thoughtfully and concisely to the discussion. Once again, I apologize for any disruption caused during your podcast episode. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to appear on your show, and I remain committed to upholding the professionalism and standards 
that your platform deserves. Thank you for your understanding, and I look forward to the possibility of future collaborations. Sincerely, John Jagger. Oh, now did you just write all that, or did you like ask Chat uh, GPT to do that? Was that AI? Oh, I asked Chat GPT to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that was really good. I mean, you could have set like a cap <laughs> on it so it didn't go so long, yeah. but you know. I know. Weird that the apology for being long-winded was like you know a little long-winded, but I feel like. But I mean, like to, th- that's the point, right? Is like we've heard so many of these that like yes. one. That's real. Like, I didn't give much of a prompt. I was just like, hey, can you write me a company apology for talking too much on Ryan Murphy's podcast? <laughs> that, that's all I asked for. And uh, that's what I got. So it did really well. Uh, I thought know, that I it's felt, got, you know, I could picture I it. I changed on a couple of wheeze the eyes, but that's about it. Yeah. You take a picture, just post yeah. it, you know. I think, uh, I think I saw one today. It wasn't an apology letter, it was a closure note. Uh, for a company it was a company that i guess their next game they couldn't get a publisher and uh it it was a it was a notepad a screenshot of notepad and it was part of the joke but you know the the people asked are you joking it's like no we actually are shutting down it was just we thought we would do it in a notepad it's kind of their brand of humor anyways it was just a, a hastily written note in notepad and and then they screen grabbed it as if it was just and kept all of it in there like the the whole notepad app. So I thought that was, that was kind of a, a fun little thing. Um, but as I said, not good news cause they shut down, but um, yeah, it's, it's a wild one. And I think you're right. I think unity is the damage is done. It's hard. It's going to be impossible to trust them going forward. Like anybody who is thinking like, what engine should I use? There's just so many options these days that you don't even have to go to it's not a question of like do i go unreal or do i build my own like we're past those days where now it's like well do i use unreal do i use uh godot do i use uh uh, there are countless you know game maker so there's just there's so many options and you have to be careful you cannot alienate your user base to this extent and they found a weird way to just do it in such a way that's like you'd almost wonder like, is there, is this, is this strategic? Like, is there, is there a reason to want to lose all your customers? Like outside of like just being done working at unity. I don't know. It's just wild to me. I think a lot of companies like to try to figure out where that line is and, you know, try and, you know, they're going to, they're going to take what they can take. And I think it's a case of like, Oh, can we get away with this? Can we get away with this? Can we get away with this? Oh, nope. That's too far. Okay. Well, what, that shows us where the line is. So maybe now we can go dance along that line uh, for now. And yeah. it, I, it's, it's just, it's ugly business stuff. And the, you know, the video game industry is a lot of industries are experiencing stuff like this, but our, our magnoscope telescope, magnifying glass, whatever it is, is on the video game industry. So this is the one we get to see, the warts and all on, but you know, this is sort of the corporate nature of things is, you know, like, uh, we got a, especially post pandemic, you know, uh, the pandemic was extremely good for video games. When we talk about profits and stuff like that, banner years all around, uh, was really effective. Now we are, uh, hopefully <laughs> outside of that. Although, you know, we're hearing stuff again, but, um, 
now we are outside of it and all those companies need to continue to show growth. So everybody's going to be trying to figure out new ways to do that. Yeah. That, that's the wildest thing to me is just show growth, show growth. And it's like, I mean, literally you're going to hit, you're going to hit a wall eventually, even if you try all these little things and you're seeing it with streaming right now where I, I think I read Netflix is, is thinking of increasing their prices again, two months after the, the actors settle. Um, once they sign a contract, they're going to wait two months and then announce this price hike. And I'm just like, I could have sworn Netflix just went up, but that could have been just the password sharing stuff that went into effect. Yeah, there was all that too. And you know, everybody thought that was going to blow up in their faces and it was going to lead to cancellations. I did cancel till my son uh, renewed. <laughs> just, I was shocked at how easy it is to renew your Netflix account because I got mad. I got a, I was, I canceled Netflix to take a stand. I was like, I do not like this password sharing thing. Uh, and that's as somebody who has their own Netflix account. I'm literally not sharing it with someone, but I hate the principle of it. And I was like, I'm canceling Netflix. I'm going to be on the, the righteous side on this one. I don't, I don't think there's anything on their programming that's so good. I have to have it. And then all of a sudden I got an email. Thank you for <laughs> re-enabling your Netflix account. And I went, who did it? I'm out there. I'm asking the kids. I'm asking my wife. And she goes, well, you know, your son was playing with the remote earlier. I was like, is it really that easy to reactivate my Netflix account and charge me money? That's terrifying. Uh, yeah. That's oh, absolutely shocking. But that is what that is what happened. So, yeah. Uh, Man, it, it is a it is a wild time. And you're right. Like a lot of these companies are like finding weird and wacky ways. And I mean, it worked for Netflix. And of course, the next big company is Disney um, and Disney Plus. I think uh, they're doing password sharing crackdown here in Canada, at least starting November 1st. So uh, it, it it's a strategy that must have it, it did work for Netflix. I think they made money. They said they made money on it. Um, and of course, everybody's going to follow Paul's suit, which is unfortunate because I, I, I like you. I agree. Like, I think that um, for streaming services, the the password sharing with like, it's not like you're putting it up on a message board and saying, hey, everybody access my account. It's like, well, you're sharing it with family. You know, like, I think I think having family and friends sort of account types would be nice. And I think that, uh, well, that's what we do with our Nintendo family account. Like we've we just got a bunch of folks um from the discord that that we share with friends and family it works uh uh what is it fast and furious meme we're all family that sort of thing uh yeah although i haven't seen a movie since the second one maybe i can't remember it's been a while it's been a while but twitter memes it keeps me up to date um (laughs) (laughs) uh, our next story here is that uh, jim ryan playstation ceo uh is retiring next spring and this story broke from Jason Schreier. So everyone assumed like, so Jason Schreier tweeted, you know, from two sources, Jim Ryan will be stepping down and everyone assumes the worst, you know, like, Oh, they're finally kicking him out. Or like, you know, how social media is, they jump to conclusions, but really it's just, the guy's retiring. He's been working with Sony for 30 years. He's retiring. There's no nefarious thing happening here. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's good news. Uh, in the sense that he is, uh, 
he's stepping down. No news on who will be replacing him. I guess they're going to have an interim CEO for a bit while they while they search for who will replace him. But uh, you know, there's a, you know Jim Ryan isn't like known for being the favorite of the CEOs that that you know controls a very large uh, video game publisher. But uh, I mean. I guess he's I guess he's well known for like sort of spearheading like a more shift to like a live service for PlayStation, like more live games. He famously said he didn't understand backwards compatibility, but I, I think he since walked that back like he, he kind of he came around on it. But uh, yeah, they're going to have a new CEO come uh, next spring. So I don't think it's going to change anything. I don't think it's going to really shift playstation at all this isn't like a don matrick to phil spencer type move i think this is going to be a business as usual type thing yeah i don't i don't think you're seeing uh i don't think we're seeing a shake-up quite to that degree i don't i mean especially because like you know playstation is doing fine <laughs> like you know they there's it's not like this is a, a strong pivot like oh god we got to figure something out like they're doing fine and uh you know jim was there for a long time again like anybody that runs any business there's gonna be things you you like there's gonna be things you didn't like um i do you know like i hone in on the like nobody's interested in backwards compatibility i'm like uh people are very interested sir um in fact one of the key reasons i i bought an xbox was having a vast library because of uh, the account sharing, like, you know, DNA from what I had purchased on the 360 and on. Uh, but, you know, I, I I think you also would be crazy to say, like, it's not like PlayStation's been hurting under his leadership. So, you know, wish him well on whatever he does next, I guess, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, likely he'll do next is golf and book tours, I think. That's yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah. the vibe I get. Whatever it is rich people do, I don't know. Yeah, they tweet more, uh, probably, maybe. I don't think maybe. Jim Ryan's on Twitter, but I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if he tweets once, that's more than so. You that's know, like that's true. Maybe that's his first thing. The first thing I'm going to do, the healthiest thing I'll do, first day of retirement, <laughs> is start a. I can't even say Twitter. I'll start an X account. Oh, Boy, God. what a mistake! Like already <laughs> in trouble. Already have gone the wrong direction with that one. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. The whole point of retirement is to relax, uh, not to, yeah. Uh, so our uh, and again, like this is a bit old news and and will likely change depending on how the next week goes. But for Microsoft's Activision Blizzard deal, uh, we have a preliminary approval from the UK uh, regulator, and there's talk that they will provide official approval around the 6th of October. That's when the final sort of uh, judgment needs to be sort of submitted. And the idea here is with the sale of um, cloud gaming rights in the UK to Ubisoft uh, for Microsoft Activision Blizzard games, uh, that has sort of appeased the UK regular regulators. So there's an idea here that the deal will be able to close at some point next week uh, in line with Microsoft's uh, extended deadline to October 18th they extended this sort of how long we have to get the deal done that being said the FTC has resumed their case against Microsoft uh which led to a bunch of leaks <laughs> a couple of weeks ago uh but that 
sort of case is not going to stop them from closing. That is uh, because I think the ruling they got previous to that is is what they're using to basically go forward. Um, But it's not stopping the FTC from still spending money, I guess, to, to, to go after Microsoft. Like it's they've lost, but they're still keeping up the fight is my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically where it's at. Yeah. So, you know, what we what we see from here on out, I mean, by year's end, we will probably see Activision Blizzard games or some of them, at least maybe some of the older ones on Game Pass. Um, They did say, like, it's not a it's not a push the button and, and make it go type situation. That's not really how it works. Although, you know, if you remember the Bethesda acquisition, I think it was a couple weeks after they announced the closure, the, the closure of the deal that they would have games on Game Pass, some of their older titles. So it's not going to take forever, but it's, uh, you know, they've had, what, two years? <laughs> Is that where we're at right now with this whole process? They've had two years to kind of start the process, even if it doesn't come to fruition. It's not like it would be lost work, right? Like, it's been two years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> At least it feels like it. Jeez, the amount of times we've had to talk about, like, oh, they're they're in it now. They're not in it now. Oh, they're going to go. Like, I, I'm just excited to see where it goes. You know, like, I, it is one of those things I'm conflicted on. You know, like, obviously people have said, like, having one one big company own all the video game studios is not a good thing. And I do agree with that assessment. Um, but obviously I have my roots in Blizzard Entertainment. I think probably... Rightfully so, the biggest downfall and dip in quality of Blizzard Entertainment is a direct result of Activision and the people who are in charge of Activision. Uh, Blizzard has its own problems too. I'm not going to try and paint them out, obviously, to be a saint, especially after the things we've learned. But when it comes to like business, uh, business decisions and practices, I think Activision has been a huge detriment to that company that I think got a lot of us, you know, into where we are and and sharing interests and games that we have. And so while I, I think overall, like, no, I don't want one company to own everything, but I do see this as being a good thing for a company that I care about. So there is a part of me that is excited to see what it could be. Um, you know, I think, you look at what has been said publicly about games like Redfall, which Phil Spencer, you know, kind of famously said they were very hands off on. They were they were like, no, you guys know what you're doing. <laughs> you can make the game. And then the meanwhile, you know, you hear reports internally that they were like, boy, we were really hoping Microsoft was going to cancel this because we don't know what we're doing. And then you hear like, oh, well, they got more hands on with Starfield. And then the stories coming out of Starfield are, you know, like, yes, we were given more time. We were given more resources. We were given more to try and make this bigger and bigger. And it does make me a little more hopeful that like, well, yes, this is business people doing business stuff. At the same time, like there does seem to be a degree of care about video games at least tangentially behind some of the decisions they make. And I I think that's potentially good. Yeah. And I mean, there still are a lot of video game companies um, out there. Like I think Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard doesn't, 
it doesn't get as close to what we've seen in the movie industry. I think Disney buying Fox was a bigger deal in terms of, you know, having one giant company. And then you see the new, you know, you see the rumors of like Apple buying Disney. I would even consider that like that. That would be a bigger, a bigger problem uh, in my mind. But I think like you have a, you have a console manufacturer like that, that needs content for their, for their, their box they're trying to sell. Like, I think it makes sense uh, for them to look to, to, to get Activision Blizzard. Although I, I assume after this one, they'll be done with the big fish. They'll be, they'll move back to the smaller, you know, acquisitions that we've seen previous to this. Like this is not, this is not going to be the last deal they make, but I think it's their last like $70 billion deal. Like I think they're going <laughs> to, they're going to reduce that down to like, you know, the small billions, I guess, whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see what that, we'll see how it shakes out uh, in the coming weeks. And we'll definitely talk about it here because uh, we're cursed to do so. Um, okay. How do you, <laughs> how, John, how do you feel about Netflix uh, making adaptations of your favorite video games? How do you feel about that? I mean, I can't be too, like I've complained about, it feels like we've, somehow talked about everything on this episode because I've complained about Netflix uh-huh. and, talked and insulted them, but I've also praised uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners as the reason I got back into that video game uh, for being extremely good. Uh, I thought, I haven't seen the new one, um, but I, I thought Castlevania was incredibly good. Um, so there, there has certainly been quality stuff on Netflix involving video games. Um, I can't claim that I care as much about Tomb Raider or Devil May Cry as I do, uh, you know, Cyberpunk or um, even uh, Castlevania. But like, they have shown again. I, I don't care for Netflix. I don't care for the corporate side of all this business, but. Th- uh, they have shown a care and interest in making quality products with these things. So if it's good, I'll watch it. <laughs> if it's bad, it'll be easy for me to skip because I'm not exactly the biggest Tomb Raider Devil May Cry fan. Yeah. I mean, um, the Tomb Raider one's interesting. You have uh, a new, new a new voice actress. You have uh, Haley Atwell, uh, Peggy Carter, uh, voicing Lara Croft. Uh, although you don't get her voice as much in this teaser that we got. Uh, I think the Devil May Cry one, I didn't, I actually didn't like uh, watch that one, but is it, oh yeah, there is some, there is some characters in that too. I thought it might've just been like a, an announcement card or something, but you do get, you do get a, a good look at the series there, but it feels like they've been doing so many of them. Like I, I love Dragon Age, but I haven't watched the Dragon Age one. Um, I did watch the cyberpunk one and I really love that one. I'm behind on Castlevania. So like it's, it does feel like they're, they're, they're really, uh, they're, they're really churning out these adaptations. And I think they've been decent. Like, I don't think they've been, I don't think any of them have been bad, or at least from what I've heard, none of them have been bad, but like none of them have kind of lived up to, well, you had arcane, right? Which was like superb Emmy winning. I think it won a bunch of awards. And I think cyberpunk was like, a good follow-up in that like if you're i think cyberpunk might have won awards within its you know within its wheelhouse like i don't think it got nominated for an emmy but i think it i think there's some like 
awards handed out for like anime and stuff like that. And I think it actually got recognized if not one. Um, Edge runners was phenomenal. Like uh, I, I put that a, a cut above most like edge runners is genuinely like not even in the qualifications of like, Oh, best anime video game adaptation. Like you can put a bunch of qualifiers on there. It's one of the best animes I've seen. Um, especially recently like there's been a lot of stuff that it, like i definitely feel like an old man when it comes to anime i watch a lot of anything new i watch i tend to be like oh, it was better when I was, in, <laughs> I was in middle school watching this stuff all the stories were better um but edge runners was kind of the first one in a long time that i got really excited about i did not know there was a dragon age one i'm a huge dragon age fan but i say that and the truth is like i don't think i am I think it's something that I say because Dragon Age Origins is one of the games that I've put the most time in, like more than almost any other game. Like, I think it's still to this day, like very high on my Steam most time played. And I didn't even play most of my time on the Steam version of the game. I had a disc version before I bought it on Steam. And yet it's still up there. Um, so like I've played a insane amount of Dragon Age, uh, origins, but I don't like Dragon Age 2. I think Dragon Age Inquisition is accidentally okay. I don't think, <laughs> I, I don't think there is anything in Dragon Age Inquisition that is, that feels intentionally good. It feels like a lot of good ideas that came together and if, if it could have like fallen over or stood up, it stood up more than it fell over, but not because it was planned that way, but because like, that's just how the cards fell, you know, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel crafted. It feels like, oops, we made a good game in the same yeah. way that you might go, oops, they made a bad game. Yes. Um, like that's how Inquisition feels. So I I actually don't like the most of the games in the series, and they continue to double down on like the stuff I don't like. They're like, hey, let's talk more about what we did in two. Oh man, let's talk more about what we did in Inquisition. And meanwhile, I'm like, okay, but Origins was the only good one. Why aren't we talking about that game? Because you can you can go off on whatever tangent you want. I don't find any of it interesting. Like it all feels reductive of what that first game did. And you just keep like, it keeps feeling like a copy of a copy at a certain point. So I haven't seen the anime. I don't know if I would watch it <laughs> because every time I try to ingest more dragon age lore, I just go, Oh God. Remember when this was one video game that was really good. And was yeah. never good again after that. There you go. There's your hot take, everybody. I, I knew I'd get to it eventually. Um, you know, like no offense if you like the bad Dragon Age games, I guess. But <laughs> I know. don't mind the bad Dragon Age games. I will admit, uh, I liked Dragon Age two, uh, although it did have its issues. And I'll agree with you there. Like I think Dragon Age Origins is the best one. Um, Do you have a hard time saying that name too? And is it the fault of Core? Because <laughs> Core's the reason I can't say it, and I noticed the long pause for you too. 
you know what? I'm just I'm just self-conscious. I'm trying to make sure that I don't, you know, make the <laughs> same mistake that I don't even know. See, I don't even want I can't even remember like how you guys say it on core because we it, I can't stop calling it Dragon Age oranges. Oranges. I, okay. I can't I can't. Ever since somebody slipped up on core and said it, it has lived in my brain and I'm scared to death every time I talk about the game. That yeah. I'm gonna legitimately call it Dragon Age Oranges again. <laughs> Are there even oranges in the game? I wonder. I don't know. I don't remember, but they're in there. Yeah. I think the main reason I like really picked up on Baldur's Gate 3 because I was like, this is this is the Dragon Age Origins follow-up that I was looking for. Like talking to my party, all that fun stuff. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, like Baldur's Gate, like, and it's so funny. I felt so dumb when I thought this, but when I played Baldur's Gate three, there was a point where I was like, "This game reminds me of Dragon Age, like the good one." And then I was like, "Of course it does." Like that, they were trying to make a modern Baldur's Gate. That's what they set out to do. That's what Dragon Age was supposed to be. was the spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate. And so, of course, Baldur's Gate 3 feels like Dragon Age. That's in line. But I was, like, so excited about it when I had this epiphany, this really dumb, (laughs) should have been obvious epiphany. I'm like, Baldur's Gate 3 is like Dragon Age. (laughs) I was really excited about it. And uh, it's true. It is. It's a lot like the good Dragon Age. Yeah, it's uh it's a great game. One I do need to <laughs> get back to at some point before. I haven't finished it yet. I'm still uh midway through act 2, I believe. Uh but yeah, my favorite part about that game is just the character conversations and I think it's um some of my favorite stuff about any of BioWare's writing really uh previous to Andromeda uh was just uh interacting with the characters, you know, doing a mission it's like, okay, everyone's going to have something new to say gonna go talk to everybody and that's my favorite thing about Baldur's Gate 3 is like continuing the story to do enough of a mission to go talk to my friends again uh back at the camp so except for Asterion he doesn't like me uh very much <laughs> no he doesn't he doesn't he no. doesn't think you're great no not really I mean he'll, he'll probably talk be to me, too he's, nice he's very passive aggressive about it anything I bring up so uh <laughs> But maybe I keep thinking like maybe maybe he'll warm up to me maybe 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 it's Act Three I gotta I gotta get to before he starts being nice to me. Um, let's do one more story here. Uh, I love this headline. I copied it uh, right from Polygon. Fortnite maker Epic Games worth billions cuts its staff by sixteen percent. So <laughs> there's actually been a lot of layoffs uh, going on over the last couple of weeks, and I did see the sort of thought process that like a lot of companies announce at the same time to sort of like share the negative press, which I, I can see. But the idea here is that um, Epic games has cut 16% of their staff, more than 800 employees uh, heavily uh, uh, affecting um, uh, the studio behind um, fall guys, Uh, not completely shuttered, but they have lost a majority of their staff, which is, crazy because they just bought that company as far as i know like not too many years ago i I just this is one of those things where you have fortnite the most you know successful video game out there and you're you're cutting your staff it just 
doesn't really make sense to me, to be honest. No, I mean, it goes back to goes back to what we were talking about with unity. Like everybody's got to show what a year, what a year for profits. And that's going to come at the expense of anybody and anything. And, um, you know, like at the end of the day, not not that this was ever presented to us as an option, but like, you know, you look at it and you go, boy, it would be a lot cooler if people could have jobs and and maybe there was a week where you didn't release two free games on the Epic Store. Maybe maybe save that money from that deal and, and maybe try and save a job or two. Um, like, I, I think I could go without my free Epic game if it meant like people could keep living and and collecting money by working there. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Like this, this industry is in a, in a rough way. And, um, you know, I don't want to go down too far rabbit hole, but Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like every opportunity I get to say, like, there is going to be a triple a bubble burst soon. I really hope to be wrong on this, but it's coming. It's coming. And yeah. uh, I think these are just signs of it, of it approaching. Like, I think it's kind of inevitable at this point. And until we as gamers can be more okay with games not looking like the most cutting edge thing, um, and until companies can be okay with not, you know, constantly chasing what was popular before with insane turnaround times, like, you know, and having to abandon projects, like until video game companies can feel good about taking the risk on something new that could set the world on fire instead of just like, oh no, it's too risky. We gotta, we gotta hedge our bets on something that everybody's already seen and already played. Like until we can get to that place, like, we are we are on the bubble and uh, yeah. i think it's i think it's going to be bad gaming's not going to go away no but it's going to change it's going to change in a big way it's going to be kind of shocking yeah i i've always liked hearing you know the way nintendo's approached it this is just the example that comes to mind nintendo approached it in the way of like they paid their staff more to keep their you know t- for retention like that that was a news story they were paying their staff more for to to keep in line with inflation and and to retain their staff because it's a highly competitive market um but like you see stories like this and it's it's like epic is a big company and i and i know some companies do need to like cancel projects and there's been some some cancellations lately and you talk of you know companies chasing ideas and one of those is having you know creative assembly make a looter shooter and then cancel it <laughs> yeah you know like and Creative Assembly, which which has been a, a company to to make some really good games outside of their wheelhouse, like um, Alien, uh, the Alien game. I can't remember what it was called. Was it Isolation? I think that sounds right. I think that's right. <laughs> I wanted. To, I was going to say Absolution, but I think that's Dragon Age. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anymore, man. Yeah, I know. We're out of titles. Everybody, everybody's got eight games tied to the franchise. Here's here's the ninth installment with the alien's name on it. <laughs> Alien well, Isolation was yeah. definitely a game. Whether that's the right game, I don't know. But yeah, I, I it sounds yeah because right. there was also like a there was also a, a mobile spinoff. It is Alien Isolation. 
Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it, I think that what I always appreciate is when companies like say like, you know, when they have to do layoffs, they, they look to offer opportunities to their staff internally elsewhere. I think that's the best way to do it. Like if you have to move staff around, like sometimes projects don't work out video games. It's a volatile business in the sense, like not only do you have to deal with companies, you know, as you said, axing jobs to, to look good on paper, you also have the idea that like sometimes video games don't work out. Sometimes the project just isn't going to lead to a successful video game or even a video game that can be released. We've seen a lot of cancellations happen that are labeled as like, no, it just wasn't coming together. Like Blizzard's had a few of those with Titan and and um, and Starcraft Ghosts and stuff like that. You know, they'll cancel projects. But in in those situations, like when Titan was canceled, it didn't lead to layoffs it led to overwatch like one of the biggest games to come out so they just move staff around but that's but then the other idea of that is like that well that's moving staff around within the same location you know uh epic might have locations that they've laid off across the globe so you run into that issue is like well they offer jobs internally but those internal jobs are result in me having to move so it's not there isn't always this like silver lining or opportunity of of like well we're doing layoffs but we're offering them jobs elsewhere within the company in this case it was like straight up a lot of people lost their jobs and um there was even a story today like just as recent as today i I guess uh naughty dog had laid off um a lot of their contractors this is still just a rumor but a lot of their contractors got laid off that were working on the uh the last of us multiplayer game uh so it's it's just, it's been a lot. There's been a lot. I think Team 17 got hit a bunch. Uh, they they laid off a bunch of folks. Like it's, uh, as you said, John, it's like this just weird pattern of having to show growth. And for some reason, the easiest way to show growth is just to like cut numbers. And I just, um, we have to, we have to think about the people who are making these games that we love. Like I think sometimes we don't, we don't think about uh, the people behind the games. We just think like, oh, the, you know, when's our next favorite video game coming out? It's like, I, I think like that's, I think I've always um, appreciated looking at the credits of a video game and you kind of get to see like just how many folks it took to to make that work. You know, it's a lot. There's a lot of people behind the scenes. So, yeah, I mean, maybe if Epic stopped trying to sue Apple, they'd be able to. <laughs> you talk about not giving away <laughs> free games. I think it's just keeping up these legal battles. This is like, okay, well. You're not really fighting for the little guy if you're firing, you know, 16% of your staff. That's uh, what you're saying doesn't match what you're doing. So anyways, that's going to do it for the news. And that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, If you want to join in on the conversation, let us know how uh, your feelings are on some of the news stories. You know, whether or not uh, uh, the voice of Knuckles is uh, is your favorite addition (laughs) to the world of Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, go to bit.ly slash TGI discord and let us know there. Uh, John, before we exit the show, uh, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you on the internet? Yeah. If you were like, if you heard this and you were like, boy, you know, I wish this guy, but you know, balanced out by two additional people, um, could do this for maybe, uh, twice as long. Yeah. Then, then go check out, uh, the core podcast. 
You can find out more about that at frogpants.com. It's part of the Frog Pants Network, and uh, it records every Thursday night, typically. And uh, yeah, check it out. It's a it's a podcast about video games, mostly. <laughs> Although I think uh, there's some tangents. There's some tangents for sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you don't have a six hour podcast if you don't have tangents, right? So <laughs> that's that's right. You know, you got to you got to go somewhere. You have to. It's for the listeners. It's all for the content. So definitely check out Core. It it is uh it is one of my favorite uh, video game podcasts. And besides the Gamers Inn, but I don't listen to the Gamers Inn because I'm on the show. I listen to Core. Right. It's like I don't listen to Core because yeah. I'm I'm on Core and I don't I don't have time for that. I barely have time for the first four <laughs> hours. Like we got to make this a full time job. I have to listen to it too. Ugh. Could you imagine you record for twelve hours and then have to listen to it for twelve hours? There goes your day. So I know, I know. I that's it. an entire day devoted to core. That's exactly. too much. What am exactly. I <laughs> well, definitely check that out. Uh, if you want more gamers in, you can go to gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays. You can find uh, me at R Murphy. Don't forget to follow uh, John at John underscore. Jagger, if he's still tweeting there, you're still posting to X. Uh, a lot I, of people. No, have... I tweet on Twitter. We can okay. call it what it is. Okay. Uh, I, I still tweet on Twitter occasionally. Um, you know, it's a weird website. It's a weird time for social media. And I'm going to I'm going to just tell you, I haven't made it easy because any of the new websites that I sign up for really just to hold my name, there's nothing going to be posted there until until I know where the cool kid party is. I'm not partying at any of the locations yet. I'm still at this one, even though everybody has thrown up their hands and gone, ah, well, I got to get going. Like that's where we're at with Twitter. We're at the first couple people going, ah, got to get going. Kids at home. (laughs) Babysitters got to leave. Um, until I know where the cool kid party is, I'm going to stay right here. And then as soon as I know where the party is, I'll, I'll move. Uh, but it'll probably be some version of John Jagger there is the point. I don't know yeah. if the underscore will be there. It might, it might not. Um, I, I might be really proud of the fact that I beat the other at John Jagger to the name and uh, felt more empowered taking it from him and denying him it than I felt having continuity in the name. There you go. Yeah. My, uh, my favorite thing about Twitter right now is like, sometimes I'll like, be scrolling through and I'll see a bunch of people like sharing their other profiles. And I'm like, Oh, what's happening now? <laughs> I can't even keep <laughs> yeah. up with, with what, what is causing the, the death spiral of Twitter. I just know that something's going on. Uh, when I see people start sharing where, where, where they are found elsewhere. So yeah, let me tell you where else you can find me. It's like, okay, yeah. I'll make, I'll make the accounts. That's fine. But yeah. like, I just don't want to, I don't need to be the start of something. I've been the start of enough things. Like I remember being on Facebook telling my friends like you guys, I, look, I know MySpace is hip and happening with you kids, but let me tell you, Facebook is where it's at cuz I didn't have any friends on Facebook cuz I didn't know cuz nobody was on the platform yet. I was like, yeah, it's me. Uh a friggin' probably high school kid. I don't remember when Facebook cut big. I don't remember where I was, but I was probably a high school kid. I'm like, yeah, it's me. High schooler John hanging out with all these college students that I don't know. 
uh, I've got to get some friends on this platform and what a mistake that was. So I don't know, maybe, maybe the slow and eventual death of Twitter is just better for us all. I don't know. We don't talk about Facebook, but uh, if you are still on Twitter, you can also follow the show at the gamers in that is going to do it for this episode of the gamers in. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Bye.